Hello and welcome to PolicyCast from the Social Market Foundation with me, James Kirkup. The Social Market Foundation is a think tank based at Westminster, but we don't do party politics. We do policy and evidence. In these podcasts, SMF experts will be talking to you about their latest research, shedding some light on the big issues, and telling you a few things you won't hear from politicians. If you look at the latest data, a man living by the coast lives one year less than someone that doesn't live by the coast at birth now. So this is quite a sizable life expectancy difference. And this life expectancy difference has been widening over time. Today, I'm joined by Scott Korf, the SMS Research Director. We're going to be talking about the seaside. So, Scott, uh, you've called this report Falling Off a Cliff. It's a bit dramatic, isn't it? Well, it is a dramatic title, um, but I think what we're looking at in this report is a really important issue for the UK. Coastal economies have fallen far behind the rest of the country, and what our report shows is that the economic gap between our coastal towns and the rest of the country has been widening over time. We know from the data available on coastal communities, average pay for employees is much lower, and increasingly you're seeing widening health inequalities. So if you live in a coastal town, you're more likely to die younger. So there's a whole medley of problems in our in our coastal towns, which I, I think are largely overlooked by politicians. We should go back, first of all, and talk about how, how this report comes about. This isn't the first time we've looked at this issue, is it? No, so this is a follow-on from some research we did in 2017 on coastal towns, which really provided an initial insight into how big the economic challenges in coastal communities are. And we thought it'd be a worthwhile exercise to update the data and see what's happened since then. Because a couple of years ago, we looked at this and we found basically pretty much a similar picture, as you described, that the economies of coastal communities were doing pretty badly. Now, here we are two years later, the big picture on the economy, particularly wage growth in the last couple of years, has been relatively positive. I mean, we've started to see some pickup on, on wages in aggregate, haven't we? But that's not being felt in coastal communities, is it? That's right. So if you look at the the headline wage data of the UK economy over the past year, you've seen an acceleration in wage growth. What our analysis shows is a really different trend in what's been happening to pay in coastal towns versus the rest of the country. Whilst the rest of the country has benefited from an acceleration in wage growth, average wages have actually fallen in coastal towns. So the pay gap has widened by more than £1,000. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty grim, isn't it? I mean, that's, you, that is the left behind falling further behind, isn't it? That's right. And I think this is being driven by a wide range of factors. Weak pay growth and then also the types of businesses that we have in our coastal towns. There's really a huge problem with uh, lack of quality jobs in coastal communities. A lot of coastal towns really rely on the trinity of low paid employment. So this is care, retail and the hospitality sector. A lot of the SMS research shows is these sectors not only have low levels of average pay, but career progression opportunities are limited. So even if you stay in these industries for a long period of time, you're likely to still be on low pay. Yeah, there's, a, there's not much scope for promotion for you know, upping your wage rate in those you know, in those trades. What that means is that I mean, really, this is a challenge to challenge to anybody who says that or thinks that, argues that, economic growth will make will in aggregate make things better for everybody a, a rising tide will will raise all boats we've we've seen aggregate growth in wages but these towns are being left behind so what should before you, before we go to this should we just recap the numbers from the report for you know, people who haven't had the joy yet of reading it in full i'll just read this out average employee annual pay in coastal communities was 4764 pounds lower than in the rest of great britain in 2018 
The same gap when we did this exercise two years ago was £3,251. Literally, the wage gap has widened by about £1,500 in two years. I mean, that really is the rest of the country is speeding ahead and leaving the coast behind. Yes, these are some startling numbers. And as well as the, the lack of wage growth in coastal towns, you're seeing a number of communities where their economies just haven't recovered since the global financial crisis. So whilst the UK as a whole has moved on somewhat since that financial crisis, levels of GDP in the economy are higher now than before the financial crisis, we've identified 32 coastal communities where the economy is smaller still than it was before 2008. So these economies really are stuck in the doldrum. I'm cheating here. I'm, look, I'm looking at the list in front of me. You know, we've got places like Weymouth and Portland. I mean, the economy of Weymouth and Portland is 12.9% smaller than it was in 2017, pre-crisis. Redcar and Cleveland in the northeast, 12.8% smaller than pre-crisis. Great Yarmouth, 11% smaller. I mean, that's astonishing, isn't it? Back to this question of quality jobs and quality employment, I suppose. Why do you think, why is it that it's been so hard to get the sorts of industries, employers, economic activity into places on the coast that will offer people higher paying jobs and start to address this wage gap? Well, I think the short answer to that is there is wishful thinking to think that economies can just naturally restructure themselves. Historically, the UK's coastal towns have been reliant on tourism, the collapse of domestic tourism following the the rise of cheap international travellers really left these coastal communities with hollowed out economies. It's been very hard to replace that that tourism focused economy with something else. Um, And there are some structural challenges that will be quite difficult to address. Um, One thing we identify in our report is lack of transport infrastructure in coastal town. It's quite an obvious point to make. If you've got a coastal border, there's fewer directions you can move around to get to work. And also, I mean, it, it, I mean to be blunt about it, it's just bloody hard to get to and from these places, isn't it? I mean, lots of coastal towns have really poor public transport connections, poor buses, poor trains, not necessarily a straight, straight easy road. So it just takes time to get to, to that town and out of that town. And that's something we've looked at in this report. So we looked at how easy it is for people in coastal towns to access public services and also sources of employment. And if you look at how easy it is to get a large source of employment, like a large city for work, you can get to half as many large sources of employment in coastal towns compared to non-coastal towns. So the range of areas you can go to for jobs are half as much. So there are some real challenges there in terms of getting to good paying work. Yeah, anecdotally, you can, I mean, you can, you, again, you look at our, our sad list of coastal areas with drinking economies, you don't see on that list, you don't see someone like Brighton. Brighton is a coastal community, but it has a really good transport connection to, to London. You, you hop on a train, you train in Brighton, I know it gets delayed a bit, but yeah, you can be in central London in an hour, and therefore the Brighton economy is the outlier to coastal communities, isn't it? Whereas comparable towns that don't have that connectivity are, are languishing. Yeah, and I think one, one interesting comparison to make there is perhaps to contrast Brighton's economy with Hastings' economy. The train connections from Hastings to London are, are much worse than the train connection from Brighton to London. And I think that's reflected in the, the economic differences between Brighton and Hastings. The other point you, you raised at the start, you, you talked about the, I mean, really, the ultimate inequality here. Because obviously, you, when we talk about inequality, we often talk about money. People, some people have more money than others. You talked about inequality of life expectancy. I mean, you, we're now starting to see, and this is a new thing, isn't it, the data? We're starting to see that people in coastal towns, as you said, they're dying quicker than people in other places. 
That's right. If you go back to 2000, there wasn't this huge life expectancy difference between someone living by the coast and not living by the coast. If you look at the latest data, a man living by the coast lives one year less than someone that doesn't live by the coast at birth now. So this is quite a sizable life expectancy difference. And this life expectancy difference has been widening over time. Some people relate this to what's commonly called shit life syndrome. Yes. So if you live by the coast, you're more likely to be smoking, using drugs, you're more likely to suffer mental health problems. Is it, yeah, and that, that's, a, that's a phrase that was coined, or, or it's most commonly associated with Blackpool, isn't it? This idea that a lot of coastal towns are effectively becoming almost intentionally dumping grounds for local authorities. They decant their populations of basic benefits claimants with multiple yeah, multiple social and medical problems into places like, like Blackpool, where there's a lot of cheap, cheap housing. And as a result, you have a sort of self-selecting population that is predisposed to negative health outcomes. And, and shorter lives. We know that really detrimental effects from having these individuals with complex needs living close together. So it, it, it compounds problems with health, it compounds crime problems. And really in, the, in these areas like Blackpool, you're seeing a range of very deep problems concentrated in quite small areas. Quite often areas that were once tourist hotspots are now areas where there's a very high number of Quite often single men aged between 30 and 50 with alcoholism and drug use concentrated into a small area, often living in what was once a bed and breakfast that's now been carved up into small bedsits, basically. So pretty grim picture all around. I mean, obviously, we've been describing the problem, I suppose. We'd like to be more positive and more constructive than that and talk about solutions. So what can pe- people in power and authority do about all this stuff? And when I say people, I mean Boris Johnson, don't I? Because, you know, we'll get onto the politics in a minute. But this, I mean, this is or should be a, a high priority for the government of the day. Yes, yeah, so in, our, in our report, we identify three policy areas which we think the government should focus on. One is just raising awareness of the issue of the problems faced by coastal communities in the UK. You've seen a lot of government rhetoric in recent years around the northern powerhouse, the need to revitalise the economies in the north of England. You've seen increasingly talk about the Midlands engine as a, as a driver of economic growth in the UK. And we'd like to see growing focus on coastal economies and what we could be doing to revitalise them. Let's supercharge the seaside. Supercharging the seaside, just giving it a similar weighting in government thinking to things like the Northern Powerhouse. Uh, The second thing we talk about in our report is the use of something like an enterprise zone to attract good paying work into coastal towns. So can we use tax incentives to encourage technology companies, pharmaceutical companies, business services, financial services to relocate to our coastal communities? So literally come to Shoreham or Dover or Scarborough, other places on our list, and you you set up a business there and you, you will pay less tax. We will find other financial incentives and rewards to do that. Yes. And our last recommendation in the report is around transport infrastructure. So government for now is is committed to HS2, although Boris Johnson's promised a review on the value for money of the project. And Boris Johnson's talked increasingly about HS3, sort of high-speed rail to improve connectivity in the north of England. But as we've just discussed, there are these real challenges of coastal communities, um, both poor rail infrastructure and poor road infrastructure, which need to be addressed. So Buses, we need to talk about buses a lot more. Well, absolutely. So one of our one of the recommendations in our report is as part of Boris's review of HS2 and whether it's value for money is to consider whether perhaps some of the HS2 resources could be better devoted to improving infrastructure in our seaside towns. 
And so far, we, we, we've made it all the way through this conversation without actually men- well, mentioning the B word. No one has, has yet said Brexit. Now, that matters here, doesn't it? Because, again, you come back to our list of 32 coastal areas where the economy is still smaller than it was in 2007 pre-crisis. We just did this five minutes ago, didn't we? We went through it and worked out that of the 32 areas on that list, 25 of them voted leave, uh, often by quite wide margins. And I think of the seven that voted remain, only three of them are actually in England, rather in Scotland, which tends tends to be more inclined towards remain anyway. So really, the, while we are talking about the problems of seaside towns, we're also talking about the problems of Brexit voting areas, aren't we? Yes, so if you if you look at the data on Brexit voting, you see that in our in the coastal towns where the economies haven't recovered from the financial crisis, people were more likely than the national average to have voted for Brexit. And this sort of aligns with quite a lot of the analysis around the Brexit referendum result that this has at least partly been a a sort of protest vote against an economy that's not been working for people, an economy that's left uh, people with lacklustre living standards, um, poor quality jobs, low wages. And the fact that you see these problems in our coastal towns and these coastal towns have tended to vote for Brexit really aligns with some of those yeah, studies. The, the, radical, the, the, the apparently radical idea that not every one of the 17.4 million people who voted to leave the European Union was doing so because they were concerned at the way the Aki communitaire infringed on their sovereign rights under Magna Carta. But maybe, maybe they might have had some other thought in mind there about making a comment on the political and economic settlement that delivers them a life where their income goes down, their life expectancy goes down, where their life is not very good. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a radical thought. Me and me, it'll never catch on. Maybe, maybe we should bang on about sovereignty instead. So the, the single takeaway from all this for, for people in politics, what's, one th- what's the one fact that, you, that anybody listening to this should take away to their meetings around Westminster? The, the one fact people should know about coastal communities and what's the one, what's the one solution they should, they should go away and ponder. Well, I think that the key fact here is just how big the pay gap is between coastal towns and the rest of the country. This is a huge difference in people's incomes. I'm going to play narrator and just repeat the sentence again. Average employee annual pay in coastal communities was £4,764 lower than in the rest of Great Britain in 2018. £4,764. It's terrifying. Absolutely. And from a from a policy perspective, I think my one note to policymaker, if I were to summarise it in one sentence, is the economics of geography really matters. And I think this is something that politicians and government is increasingly recognising, is we need to move away from just thinking about the UK economy as a whole and start thinking about some of the really difficult structural issues in different regions of the UK. Because there are these places where the economies aren't growing at all, where the financial crisis hit their economies and they haven't managed to recover since then. And there are are these deep structural problems around the loss of jobs in tourism and the fact that new jobs haven't come to replace these. Um, save the seaside. Well, Scott, thank you very much. Thank you. And that's all from us. That was PolicyCast from the Social Market Foundation. Thank you to Scott Korf. Thank you to Barbara Lambert for producing this fine podcast. And thank you for listening. I hope you can join us again sometime. Bye-bye.